Let's look at together back in Colossians once again. We're going to finish the third chapter this morning. We've talked in, we've been in Colossians for some time now. Paul's letter to this church, he's in prison as he writes it and he's dealing with a variety of things, but foundationally, the idea, much of the letter is the fullness in Christ, that Christ is all we need. We have all we need in him. And that's practical. It talks about in our relationships, our earthly relationships. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about what it looks like in the family. But now we're going to look even further than that and sort of an employer, an employee in the real world kind of thing. So Colossians chapter 3, we've talked in verse 18 about wives and, and 19 about husbands and 20 about children and 21 about fathers Let's look at 22. Servants, obey your masters in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not just for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master who is in heaven. Father, bless the reading, the preaching, the speaking of your word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's talk for briefly as we begin about slaves and masters. As we've said before in all of the Old Testament and the New Testament in that time period, bonded servitude was pretty common. Maybe as many as a third households in that part of the world had slaves that would have been sold to them in some sort of service. They would then eventually, many of them, work their way out of that and go on and do other things. So it's, a, it's not the, necessarily the kind of slavery we think of here as we had in the several hundred years ago in this part of North America and is even around the world. But he's talking here about a, a bond servant kind of relationship. It was very common in that time. So what we're understanding here, though, this is really important to, to, to take a, pay, a pension, pay attention to and look at. The scripture from, from the beginning to the end really does make it clear about equality. Now, there are different roles, but there's equality. I mean, when he talks about husbands and wives, I mean, there, there's, there's responsibility on both sides. When he talks about children and parents, there's responsibility on both sides. It doesn't say one is more important or more valuable or more meaningful than the other. No, he'll talk about husbands, you must love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, you must submit and see your husband for what God has made him and children you have to obey your parents but parents you have to treat them well it's that constant wonderful fairness that that we see and it moves even into the servant and the master and the the slave and the master and the employee and the employer i mean they're different roles but both need to treat each other fairly and equitably and kindly and graciously in fact, it's, it's, the, it's the wonderful picture of what a Christian community can look like. It's not that we, 
get rid of all the earthly responsibilities and all of the earthly relationships, but they, they, they are intersected with a, a better relationship and a greater relationship and a greater value of knowing who we are in Christ. And that changes the way we relate to one another. Not necessarily in terms of employer and employee or husband and wife or children. There, there's there's those, those, those distinctions here on earth. But at the same time, there's this wonderful truth that comes through all of this that we are to care for one another and be responsible to one another and be, be kind to one another and be understanding of one another, even in those very different and unique roles. There's a lot of fairness in there, a lot of equity in there. And it's a wonderful picture. We see it constantly in the scripture. The only real way to have a really true, happy home is to understand where Christ is in that home and the role that he plays. And the only way to deal with all the divisions in our culture and our society isn't through bitterness and anger and strife and, and trying to get one up on somebody and make sure nobody gets one up on me. That's how the world tries to find fairness is to play it out that way. And here, I love the way Paul understands what Christ is doing in our lives and the roles we play. We play those roles. We're given those roles, but in those, we submit to Christ and we want to be what he wants us to be so that we can glorify him in the way we're a husband, the way we're a wife, the way we're a child, the way we're an employer, the way we're an employee. So the world looks at us and say, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a, a marriage that looks different than the, the marriages here on in my neighborhood, these two are very different and, and they have very different roles. And at times they, they disagree, but there's this, there's this respect and this caring and this tenderness and this love they have for each other. And for the parents and the children and even for the employer and the employee, you know, they have very different roles. And one is superior in, in terms of the economy and the, the, the actual job that they do perhaps, but they can sit side by side talk about the Lord, know that they're brothers in Christ. The world looks at us, it doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't we all be just sort of in our own corner fighting for our own rights and our own, own, our own agenda and making sure no, no. I mean, just look at the rhythm of this and not just here, but in many places in the scripture. In Ephesians, we're gonna look at that where Paul basically says the same thing, only digs a little deeper. Husbands, this is your responsibility to your wife. Wife, this is your responsibility to your husband. Children, this is your responsibility to your parents. But parents, this is your responsibility to the children. Servants, this is your responsibility to your masters. But masters, this is your responsibility to the servants. All because we all serve him. Let's take a, a deeper look in Ephesians, if you want to turn there with me. He says, he's going through the same thing he told the church in Ephesus, goes a little bit deeper in Ephesians. In chapter 5, he's talking here about, chapter 6 rather, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Well, let's, let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. So there's the children's responsibility. But then he turns and says, but fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the Lord and then discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, if you look even earlier in chapter five, verses 22 and following, again, he, he unpacks husbands and then wives and then wives and then husbands. 
Just because we come to Christ, it's not like all earthly distinctions are wiped away. They are still there. But the love of Christ and our responsibility to him and what he has done for us causes us to treat each other in a different way than the world would normally treat one another in those situations. And in doing that, we have the opportunity to show the world, to glorify Christ, so that the world looks at us and says, that's a different kind of family. That's a different kind of boss. That's a different kind of employee. Let me just get really honest with you. If you just sit around with your other coworkers and talk about what a, what a stinking boss you have and what a terrible place this is to work. and I mean, why are they going to listen to anything you say about the gospel? You're just like them. But if you refuse to join in on that, and you, you, you find you just refuse to be part of that constant nagging and tearing things down and pointing out the obvious. Likewise, if you're an employer, if you look at your employees, even the ones that are struggling, and you realize, I mean, there's a lot more going on in their life than just your job. And they've got problems and hurts and difficulties that you may not even know about. And to treat them with the kind of respect and understanding that Christ treats you. So it's a wonderful picture here. So Paul goes on in chapter 6, verse 5. He talks about slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not similar to what he just said in Colossians, not by way of the eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And then right after that, verse nine, masters do the same thing and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and your master is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Now, first, I want you to see something that's really I want to just jump out at you here when he says about, well, let's go back to five, verse five. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of the eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as unto the Lord not unto man, knowing whatever he does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or whether he is free. An opportunity, even in the midst of difficulty and adversity, for you to display the fullness you have in Christ, that you know that this world is not all there is, that this world doesn't define who you are for eternity that right now you have an earthly master there's something going on right here on this earth that's not for all eternity and likewise he says masters do the same thing and stop threatening knowing that he is both their your master and their master in heaven and there's no partiality with him whatsoever and in colossians where we just read it he said that this is in your flesh now let's Take a second here. Stay with me, all right? This world that we're living in, we look at it and we go, this is all there is. This is what is truly real. 
And what Paul is talking about here and what the scripture says and what Jesus talked about and what we need to grasp and understand is the truth is that this world is really a world of shadows. It's really not the absolute eternal world that we're going to be. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. We are not that. This is so temporary. James says your world is like a fog. It's like a vapor. Your life, it'll be gone in an instant, but you will continue for all eternity in a different way. And right here in this brief time that we live in our flesh, Paul says, there are some things that don't seem equitable. Some are servants, some are masters. Some have money and some don't. Some have a great health and some battle with disease all of their life. Some are blessed with real financial stability. Others seem to live on the very edge of of poverty and maybe in poverty for their entire life. But Paul says, wherever situation you're in, remember who you belong to, who you are, and that this life is not all there is. Servants, serve as you are, as unto Christ, these earthly masters, but you know you and the boss have a heavenly master and there's something yet to come. And that has not yet happened. And again, we look around, we think, well, all we really know is what we have in this world, right? What I can touch, what I can feel, what I can see. You keep talking about what happens in heaven. I don't know about that. Look, everything you believe and you own and you touch and you feel and you see in this world is already decaying and dying. It is not staying the same every morning when you wake up your body is aging and dying we are all literally one day closer to eternity today than we were yesterday and you can't back that up and change it no matter how you try to convince yourself when you go out and buy a brand new car it begins to age the minute you buy it you build a new house it begins to age the minute it's not getting newer and younger it's not regenerating itself This world is decaying and dying, but there is a world that will never decay and never die. There is a world where we'll never grow old. There is a world where we'll all, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more suffering. And what Paul is saying here is whatever situation you find yourself in right now, a husband, a wife, a child, a boss, a servant, wherever, with a lot, with little, suffering perhaps more than your neighbor, Just endure that for the sake of the gospel. Find your joy in Christ. And for goodness sakes, realize this is not all there is. This world is not your home. It is not your final destination. It is decaying. It is coming apart. Its time is limited. And every time the sun goes up and the sun goes down, we are one day closer to the day when he returns and creates a new heaven and a new earth. And that puts everything in perspective. And then I can be the kind of husband I need to be to my wife because eternity is out there. I can be the kind of employee. I can can have a a job where my boss is an idiot and I can endure it because it gives me a chance to tell the world around me, look, I know something. I have a greater joy than this life. My life is not this nine to five job. There's something deeper in me. I have a fullness in Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about. If your fullness is in Christ and what he has done for you and you understand that and you know your home is in heaven and you know that's your heavenly reward and you know it is coming absolutely certainly, then whatever situation God determines to put you in in this world, endure it for the sake of the gospel because he has a reason and a plan for you to go through it. 
And all of a sudden, it just begins to, life begins to make more sense that way than for you to sit there and go, man, why am I getting this? Why does this happen to me? Why doesn't something else happen to me? Why do they get all of the breaks? Now, Paul also talks about you do these things to the Lord because you, in, in two places, both in, in Colossians and Ephesians, he talks about everything you do is going to be seen and you're going to be rewarded or you're going to be judged. I think we've really gotten away from the idea that there is a judgment, even for those of us who know Christ. We just don't talk about that. It's like, no, there isn't. Yeah, there actually is. The scripture talks about it a lot. Jesus talks about it a lot. One of the reasons Paul says, husbands, you got to love your wives as Christ of the church and don't provoke your children to wrath. is not only because it's good for them and good for you, but you will give an account to the Lord if you don't. And wives, honor and respect your husband as unto the Lord. And if you don't, you'll give an account to him. And children, if you don't obey your parents. And, and servants, if you are the kind of, that just wants to slough it off and not pay attention and get by with what you can and not work when no one's looking and talk bad about your boss, you're gonna, even if you're a believer in Christ, that's not going to go unnoticed by Christ and there'll be a judgment. And master, employer, if you're hard on your people and don't care about them and don't respect them and don't love them and don't honor them, and you're going to be held accountable for that. Likewise, if you do those things, you're going to be rewarded for that. Don't ask me how that works in heaven. I don't know, and no one else does either that hasn't been to heaven yet to tell us about it. But I absolutely know Jesus spends a lot of time in parables talking about the talents, the foolish virgins. (laughs) And maybe one of the clearest examples of this is if we go to the book of 1 Corinthians, we look at chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else has built upon it. He's talking about, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus. They're sort of arguing the church of Corinth, you know, who, who's, who's the real deal. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid by Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold and silver and precious stones... Wood, hay, and straw. Look at verse 13 or listen to verse 13. Each one, that would be you. Okay? That doesn't leave anybody out. That would be me. And again, this isn't a standalone verse. We could go to scripture after scripture where it talks about our works will be judged. Does it mean that it purchases our salvation? Absolutely not. Our salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. You are if you have repented of your sin and you have called Jesus Lord and you have, you have followed him and, and uh, made him the Lord of your life and you believe that he was raised from the dead, as I said, and you acknowledge your sin and you repent of that sin and you call him, ask him to save you, he will regenerate you and save you and you are saved by his grace, not by your works. But <laughs> your works do not go unnoticed. That's why you can't look at 
the passages we read in Colossians and Ephesians about your role as a husband or a wife or a child or a, ser- or a servant or a master or an employee or employer, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm saved anyway. It doesn't really matter if I go to church every week, if I really give financially, sacrificially, if I really get serious about studying God's word, if I really wake up every day and say, how can I love my wife the way Christ loved the church? It doesn't really matter. We're all going to heaven. It's all equal anyway. Not necessarily. We are all going to heaven if we know Christ and he knows us. But time after time, there's a clear indication. We will still give an account for the way we lived our lives, for the things we have done and the things we did not do. And here, this very familiar passage, whether you build on a foundation of gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw, look at verse, or listen to verse 13, or look at it, it's 1 Corinthians three thirteen. Each one's work will be made manifest. I don't know how you get any clearer than that. I mean, you can fool the church members. You can fool your church leaders. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your kids. You can fool your parents. But Jesus sees everything. When John has an encounter with the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 1, and he sees Jesus... He describes him and he says his eyes eyes were like flames of fire. Jesus' eyes burn and see everything. Everything you've ever looked at on your iPhone or your computer. Every thought you've ever had about your boss or your employees. Every terse and unkind word you ever said to your children or to your parents or to your spouse. Or every time you decided to blow it off and really just not go to church and not gather with the gathered worship. He didn't miss any of that. And the scripture says there will come a day when that's all going to be made known. Now we say, now wait a minute. That sounds like legalism. No. Sounds like reality. You're still saved. Don't ask me how all this works. I don't understand it. As I said, no one else who hasn't been to heaven does either. But we can't just kick it out and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. We're not going to be judged. When Paul and Jesus and the New Testament says, you are, everything you say, it's going to be seen. This is what he says here. Again, verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. In other words, if your work is honest and pure and you've done it under the Lord, you're going to get a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, if it's wood, hay, and stubble, if it's just of your flesh, it wasn't real, it wasn't genuine, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved as though by fire. You probably didn't expect to hear this when you came this morning. Maybe you wish you hadn't come now. Then you talk about slaves and masters. What's this got to do with me? The scripture sets out how we're to relate to one another. 
in kindness and love and understanding and forgiveness and patience, even if someone lords over us, we're to realize this is an opportunity for us by the way we respond to this to display the grace of God and that he is all in me. And if my job is to supervise and direct people to do it in a way that knows that I have a master myself and I want to honor him in that. And in our family relationship, again, Christ is everything. And why do we do that? Well, one of the reasons is you're going to be held accountable for, you're, you're, it's going to be made known. There, you're going to receive a reward or you're going to suffer loss. Now, again, I don't, I'm not just saying because I'm an idiot and I didn't study it. I don't mean that. I mean, the scripture doesn't really tell us what the rewards and what the law. And you go, how can you have a loss in heaven? I don't know. I don't think it's an eternal loss. But I'll tell you what. (laughs) This may be the whole reason you and I came here today. And I wasn't planning on being at this point in this sermon when I was thinking of preaching this text. But Martin Lloyd-Jones, who died many years ago and was a great preacher in London in the middle part of the 20th century, 1950s, 40s, 50s, 60s, he was a medical doctor as well. Every sermon Martin Lloyd-Jones ever preached is available on the Martin Lloyd-Jones Trust. I was listening to it, and he said this, and I've, I've never forgotten it. And I think it's very very powerful when we talk about suffering loss or receiving reward you get to heaven somehow or another everything you've done everything I've done is going to be shown and seen and you're going to look in the eyes of Jesus and he's going to look in your eyes And when you realize, and I realize, how much we simply slid through, skated through, we're deceitful about our true intentions. How many times we didn't suffer for him? How many times we did give in to temptation when we knew we shouldn't? When we, how many times we see how many times we, and we look at him and we see there, the risen Christ, we see the nail prints in his hands and the spear print in his side. And we realize we would not be in heaven. We would be in the fires of hell if he hadn't come down and suffered and died and bore the wrath of God for me and sought me out and saved me and loves me more than anything anyone could ever love me and his love will never stop. And he loves me unconditionally. And all he asked me is to love him and honor him and respect him and make his name well known in the community and among my friends and and just just reflect him. And I look at my life as this being shown before me I see time after time after time I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't and then I look in his face and I believe at that moment I will suffer loss just like when you were a child and you did something wrong and you went home and you just knew your parents were just going to punish you or, or or swat you or or ground you and they didn't do any of that they just looked at you with sincere disappointment and turned away and you were crushed Likewise, I think your reward is when you would hear him say on those occasions when you did do what he asked you to do and he looks at you and those eyes that go right through you and he says, puts his hand on your shoulders. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
And the reality of it is we talk about husbands love your wives, the wives love your husbands and children and masters. And so, Look, you're going to give an account for how you live like that. The reality of it is if we do live the way he tells us, here's the beauty. We are all happier. It's a better workplace. It's a better home life. It's a better community. It's not like it makes us worse. It makes us happier. And if that isn't enough to motivate you to do it, realize there'll come a time you'll be before him. You'll look in his face and you will either suffer loss or you will suffer gain. You will receive gain. Because again, this temporary world we live in is not our home. This is not all there is. We are one day closer to eternity today. And yeah, you may look around and say, man, I, my life, I've suffered so much more than the guy next to me. Maybe, maybe, but it's a vapor, it's a fog. And when we all get to heaven, we are, it is for the joy that is set before us. And if he causes us to endure hardship and suffering or be a servant rather than a master on this planet, this temporary society, we do it because he knows best. And we submit to his sovereign leadership knowing he knows what's best for me. None of this would have been possible if he hadn't himself left his throne of glory, wrapped himself in human flesh, looked out at you and me and all of our fails and all of our sin and all of our shortcoming and said, I am still going to go to the cross for you and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he redeemed us and we belong to him. And he just simply says, live like that, all right? Live like you're worth something because you are, because I gave my life for you. Let the world see me in 